Today, today we'll be looking at is is are the Seventh Day Adventists a cult? Is Seventh Day Adventism a cult? Now, this is this is different from what we discussed with the Mormons because the Mormons it was quite straightforward and clear. But the reason why I have put this as a question is because there are so many people, even in the evangelical world, who do not believe that Seventh Day or Seventh Day uh, Seventh Day Adventists are cults. Some just say, "Oh, they just misled in one or two areas," so that's you know, don't be too harsh, you know. Uh, some who even uh, I, I I have a brother who even said that. Uh, seven, some Seventh Day Adventist sects preach the gospel better than a lot of evangelical churches, and I was like, "Wow, is that so? Which Seventh Day Adventist do you know?" And I'll start by saying that the the most dangerous cults are the ones that say the right things, they do the right things. Uh, well, okay, they appear to do the right things. And they even use the terminology that Orthodox Christians use, you know. The sovereignty of God, God the Father, God the Son. We are Trinitarian. We believe that the Holy Spirit regenerates, etc., etc. And, and they would even say that they hold to the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, and the infallibility of Scripture. Like, they hold that the Scriptures are the only um, authority or the final authority uh, of life and practice. And I would just like to read. So the, F the SDAs have got 28 fundamental beliefs. And this is the first one on the Holy Scriptures. Listen to this. Sounds very orthodox. The Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testaments, are the written word of God given by the divine inspiration. The, the inspired authors spoke and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In this word, God has committed to, humani to, huma to humanity the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are the supreme authoritative and the infallible revelation of His will. They are the standard of character, the test of experience, the definitive revealer of doctrines, and the trustworthy record of God's acts in history. So, this is as orthodox as it gets. Sola Scriptura. Yeah? They, they, they even say that they branch away. They, 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 they are. In fact, if um, American SDAs call themselves Protestants, so they say that we came out of the Reformation. They, 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 they affirm Protestantism, and they say that they, you know, they, they hold on to the uh, to orthodoxy. So SDAs do not deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They are not Gnostics, uh, like the Christian Science. They do not have extra biblical 
view of the supremacy or the in eternal, uh, eternality of God like the Mormons. And so the, do the dominating um, sort of worldview or do dominating opinion or about the SDAs from other, from, from, from evangelical Christians is that, okay, no, these guys are Christians, you know? Why are you bothering them? What is this, all this frenzy uh, on, on these SDAs, you know? Why are you bothering them? Leave them alone. Uh, let, let, let's, let's embrace them. Let's, let, let's take them in. So people, if, if like when I put this post up, uh, I, I was attacked on Twitter, on Facebook, in the inbox. Uh, people were saying, no, this is unfair, it's unjust. It's, it's extreme to call them a cult. But I, I hadn't even made a statement yet. I said, is our Seventh-day Adventist cults? Question mark. But, and in my own opinion, because, you know, whether we argue whether they are a cult or not, some will say, some good brothers and sisters will say they are not a cult. Uh, Brother Joe, you have missed it. I, in my opinion, I fall into the lineage, so to speak, of those people who say seven-day Adventists are a cult. And, and so we'll get to why I would say they are a cult a bit later on. Because it's only give us a history of the SDAs, uh, uh, so it's a brief history because there's a lot written on this, so I want to keep it as simple, as short as possible, uh, and no need to get into complications, but straight to the point. And so this is how uh, a brother uh, defines what a cult is. He says a cult is a sect or group that gather, gathers itself around someone or some people and their salvation hinges on that on leaving that group or sect so in other words when when people say if you leave this group you are not a christian you're no longer a christian you're going to hell so if you say ketai if you leave Berean reformed baptist church you're going to hell that is cultic behavior you must run as fast as possible away from us. Because we believe that salvation is by grace alone, um, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. No one has got claims over your salvation apart from God alone. And you know what? A lot of people are in cults they, 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 they are subject to, 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 to being hunted down for leaving. Some use information uh, that they've obtained about them uh, against them, against those people who leave. They threaten, they manipulate or abuse, and you are basically bound. Cult loyalty is hard to break up. So, history of SDAs. This group sprang up from failed prophecy. And it was uh, failed prophecies and it was built on lies. And these prophecies were mainly on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we must be careful on eschatology, friends. <laughs> Lest we, uh, you know, go the way of, of, of SDA. So basically, these people in America in the mid-19th century, uh, you know, were re there, was, there was really a feeling in the air or in the atmosphere that Christ would return. So, uh, you know, this is where... SDAism or Seventh-day Adventism came from. And one of its leaders who is well documented is called is William Miller, who was part of the army. And uh, you know, he was a former captain of the war in 1812, and he converted to deism or deism in 1816. So basically, what deism is is um i would say in those days was just lib uh, liberation theology or being liberal so basically this man did not believe that there was eternal punishment he believed that you know uh, things would just be good at the end that that was what deism in in a nutshell is and he began he was so excited he began to he began to search the scriptures after war for the truth and after two years, he was convinced he understood the scriptures, especially Daniel 8, verse 14, which says, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. From then on, this man said, Okay, in 2,300 days, the Lord Jesus Christ would return. He took that scripture, no context. He took it literally, no, uh, no interaction with the scripture, no scholarship, nothing. He just took that scripture and said, okay, uh, you know, um, so he interpreted these prophetic days as years and beginning from the date of the prophecy, Miller concluded that the end of 2,300 days would fall in 1843. He says, I was thus brought to the solemn conclusion that in, that in about 25 years from that time, all the affairs of our present state would wound up. So, in other words, that is when he was what? Anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then came what the SDAs also affirmed and agreed to called the Great Disappointment. <laughs> the Great Disappointment. And of course, you know, I, I couldn't help but giggling in this as I, as I was even reading this because, you know, these people, uh, this, was, this man thought that he was, he was uh, you know, predicting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the scriptures clearly teach he will return like a thief in the night. So do you know what happened in the great disappointment? When Miller had gathered, because his prophecy failed twice. There was the first time he predicted and uh, Jesus did not return. The second time he predicted that Jesus will return, the people sold their land. They stopped farming. They stopped going to work. The, uh, according to a writer, the mills stopped uh, you know, chugging and moving. And so, <laughs> and this, and, and about this time, Ellen G. White, 
who would come, who would become the, the big prophetess, the brand name of uh, Seventh-day Adventism, was only 17 years old. So here's what one commentator says. Uh, who was a Millerite, so a Millerite was a, fo was a follower of Miller. His name was uh, Hiram Edson. So when the Lord Jesus Christ did not come, this is what he said. Our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted, and such a spirit of weeping came over us as I never expected before. We wept and wept till the day, till the day dawned. Bitter anguish set in at midnight when they realized that their hopes would not be fulfilled. Many wept, wept bitterly until the daybreak. They were waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were expecting his return. And he had read scripture, by the way. So he would, SDAs would say, ah, why, why are you, you know, why are you being too harsh? This man read scripture. Ellen G. White. So when this when the great disappointment ended, a lot of people left. Uh, you know that grouping of people, and it was almost on the verge of collapse. But Ellen G. White came up. Ellen G. White was Ellen Harmon, who was born and reared in Maine, in a devout Christian home. Her father was an exhorter in the Methodist church and her Christian experience was nurtured in Methodist class meetings. Having accepted the teachings of uh, William Miller regarding the re imminent return of the Lord, the family was forced out of the Methodist church. They were excommunicated. In 1846, Ellen married James White, <laughs> a fellow Millerite. <laughs> And together they consolidated the group of Millerites that became the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This is what Tim Chalice has to say in his blog on Ellen G. White. He says, all through this time, Ellen G. White continued to receive prophetic dreams and visions. Some 2,000 prophetic dreams during a lifetime. And through them, she guided and formed the church. Okay? So what did we say last week about cults? We said when cults are formed, when people gather around a person, uh, they're, they're not gathering under you know, the, sup the supreme authority of the scripture. They're gathering around a person. They're saying that person's dreams and visions and whatsoever are infallible and this is what we see here with ellen g white and, and and you know what this hurts me because a lot of people buy her junk if you go on the internet ellen g white ellen g. there's just so many books that have been published and people embrace this these stuff these things and drink this poison and through and through and through them, uh, she guided and formed the church. Over a lifetime, testimonies uh, for the church expanded from a mere sixteen pages 
to nine full volumes. So Ellen G. White would have a vision or a prophecy from God and then would say, this is a doctrine, let's adopt it. And the church would say, amen, prophetess. And they would uh, maybe write these things down and compile them and after a while it became a volume. So actually, when you study the, 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 the teachings of the SDAs, they believe in the scriptures, yes. However, they believe that the teachings uh, of Ellen G. White, the lesser light, points to the greater light. So Ellen G. White, they, they have to view the scriptures through Ellen G. White, not through Christ as the mediator. Of course, they'll mention Christ, but we will see how heretic they are in terms of Christ's work and atoning work uh, on the cross. This is what Tim Chalice has to continually say. Of far more concern was White's aberrant view of death, hell, and eternal punishment. Adventists adopted several key tenets, including one stating that God does not eternally torment sinners. Adventists don't believe in hell. But that the dead enter into soul sleep until the second coming and the last judgment. At that time, the punishment for sinners will be that they cease to exist. Doesn't that explain a lot of what SDAs, you know, how they live actually? There's no hell in their doctrine. And yet Jesus Christ preached on hell more than any other topic in the New Testament. They don't believe, they don't believe in eternal punishment. It, it explains the way they even live, you know, some are like a daisical, but also it also contradicts the way they live because some are, you know, they, 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 they've got a strict sort of adherence to laws and rules and this is how you should live, this is what you should eat, you shouldn't eat that, women should wear, uh, you know, skirts, long skirts, like, for example, uh, there's, there's, there's an article I was reading on this, um, that Ellen G. White had a prophecy that women should wear, so in those days they used to wear those dresses that uh, sort of scrape the ground. So in winter, the, the, the dresses will be uh, wet with snow, in summer they will be dusty, and, and Ellen G. White basically said to the women, this is how, uh, when you wear, this attire shows, um, sorry, um, this attire um, exemplifies godliness. When you wear this dress as a woman, you please God. You, you are right with God. You are in right standing with God. God is pleased with you. And like Roman Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventism do not, uh, do not hold to justification by faith. They don't, they, they don't believe that, our, that Christ, Christ's atoning work was 
finished and final when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. Or he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he yielded his spirit to the Father. They, they, they believe that Christ, they believe that Christ is in heaven, yes. But Christ is still doing an atoning work in heaven. So whilst you are on earth here, you have the ability to be accepted before God based on the fact that Christ is still atoning for your sins. So you, 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 uh, so whilst on earth here, you are compelled to do good works. And whilst Christ is in heaven, he's looking down and saying, Oh man, that man is good. And I'll accept him. Oh, that, that lady is good. That, uh, the, the, that, that young man or that old woman is good. So I will accept them based on their own works. And also, Seventh-day Adventism mixes grace. They'll tell you, oh, we believe in salvation by, 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 you know, by, by, by faith. Uh, salvation by grace through faith. But then they mix grace with works. For you to be said that you are really a Christian, you have to observe the seventh day, which is a Saturday. And that, in fact, that is in fact in their in their camp, that is one way that shows that you are actually uh, escaping the wrath that is to come to those who are not in Seventh Day Adventism. Uh, some were actually teaching. Uh, in Zambia, that if you attend, so so what happened was, um, uh, people in the rural areas who were planting churches, uh, Reformed Baptists, uh, came under attack because Seventh Day Adventists would come come into the area and tell everyone that if you are if you go to to church on a sunday you're going to hell that's the mark of the beast so for seven day adventist sunday worshipers are a devil worshipers they're babylon and so pastor conrad mbewe wrote a uh, <laughs> he wrote a a, a a tract in response to this as the rural pastors were overwhelmed to say we are losing people to seven day adventists help us what can we do and uh, let me just read you an extract of uh, I can share it with each and every one of you afterwards and you can read so he, he talks about you know listen to the introduction in the last few years there, there, there has been a deliberate misrepresentation of biblical facts by Seventh-day Adventists in Zambia in order for them to increase their numbers. And they've been very successful. Earlier this year, I got this report. The SDA held a 14-day crusade at the school, expounding and propounding their beliefs to the students every evening. The main message the, pup the pupils went away with at the end of the 14 days was that all those that go to church on a Sunday or worship on the Christian Lord's Day or Lord's Day would go to hell. The result of this was that the attendance in our meetings suddenly reduced from about 70 to 30. <laughs> this is happening all over the country. 
In writing this short tract, I simply want to set the, the biblical record straight for the sake of those who are willing to listen. The question is, will all those who worship on Sunday go to hell? The answer is no. Because salvation does not depend on the day which you go to church, but on your repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the, the, the SDAs, when you approach them with this, they will argue with you. No, no, no. Some will even say, no, no, we, we believe. Some will deny that they would even believe that, uh, you know, if you, if you go to church on a Sunday, you, 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 they will say that you, you, you're, you're doomed to hell. But this is actually, this was actually one of the, of the, of the prophecies or the visions that Ellen G. White, uh, you know, put up in a book, The Great Controversy where she talked about how, you know, there's a war between Satan and Christ, etc. Et I'll read it for you there in one of their beliefs, the great controversy. Um, and so, and, you know, this tract was written and, you know, Pastor Mbewe had to debunk equating the Sabbath to Saturday is wrong. Christians in the Bible went to church on a Sunday, etc., 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 etc. So, I'll share the track with you. But this is just to show you that these, these people are not out to play games. In fact, they're very smart. They are very, they've got very good teachers in terms of... They are very articulate, very good communicators. They, uh, as with many cults, they are, they are winsome. They'll tell you, oh, we believe in Christ, we believe in God, all that stuff. You come into their, you come into their place and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they, uh, who's that, sorry? May you please mute yourself? 817. Let me just try to mute that. All right, what's it? Tanaka, please mute them. Please mute the 817 if you can. All right. Um, yeah. So, so, Here's what the SDAs believe on Christ's atoning work, which is Article 23. Sorry, yeah, Article 23 in their beliefs. There is a sanctuary in heaven, the true tabernacle. So this is very fundamental. This is where we differ with SDAs. There is a sanctuary in heaven, the true tabernacle, which the Lord set up and not man. In it, Christ ministers on our behalf, making available to believers the benefits of his atoning, of his atoning sacrifice offered once for all on the cross. He was inaugurated as our high priest 
and began his intercessory ministry at the time of his ascension in 1844, at the end of the prophetic period of 2,300 days. That's what the article says. Article 23, you can go onto their website. What SDAs believe? Belief number 23. He entered the second and last phase of his atoning ministry. It is a work of investigative judgment, which is part of the ultimate disposition of all sin, typified by the cleansing of the ancient Hebrew uh, sanctuary on the Day of Atonement. In that typical service, the sanctuary was cleansed and with the blood of animal sacrifices, but the heavenly things are purified with the perfect sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. So, it sounds good, it is almost good, it is almost nice, it is almost orthodox, but it's plain garbage. Heresy! The investigative judgment reveals in heavenly to, to heavenly intelligences who among the dead are, are, are asleep in Christ and therefore in him are deemed worthy to have part in, in the first resurrection. It also makes manifest who among the living are abiding in Christ, keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, and in him therefore are ready for trans translation into his everlasting kingdom. This judgment vindicates the justice of God in saving those who believe in Jesus. It declares that those who have remained loyal to God shall receive the kingdom. The completion of, the mini of this ministry of Christ will mark the close of human probation before the second advent. What is that? <laughs> huh? What does that mean? Probation, what, what? That is exactly where we um, separate with uh, the seven days. And out, because that is heresy. That is a departure from Christian orthodoxy. It is, a, it is an insult to Christ's uh, finished work and person, and atonement. It is a complete denial of justification by faith. You, you're, you're, you're not justified the moment you're saved. You, you, you wait for future justification, and therefore then you are not assured of your salvation, so you continue working for your salvation. And that's why the SDAs love rules and laws. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. That salvation hinges not on Christ's finished work, but on you and Christ, <laughs> so to speak. When Christ had paid the full penalty in atonement for the sins of all um all people, or, or his people, he said from the cross, it is finished. John 19, verse 30. 
And because Christ has had paid the full penalty for sin when he died on the cross, no further sacrifice or additional work was needed. Paul to the Romans was able to say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the, for the SDAs, there is always condemnation. You are always guilty. And friends, I have to, I have to make a, a side note here. When you are engaging someone from the SDA sect, or church if you want to call it, it's fine. Never play to their tune on secondary matters. They'll take you, you know, for, for a goose chase. When you talk about foods, observance of the days, Saturday, Sabbath, they'll talk, they'll talk about pork, they'll talk about not eating, uh, Anzi, do not eat unclean uh, foods. And even if you show them the text that Jesus pronounced, uh, you know, all foods clean, and then you take them to Romans 14, uh, Romans 14, where the Apostle Paul, you know, says, you know, these are secondary matters. Let the one who, you know, eats, uh, who does not eat vegetables, um, or I'm paraphrasing, uh, who does not eat vegetables, not look down upon the one who doesn't. The, the kingdom of God is not about food. It's not about wine and drink. It's about salvation through the finished works of Christ. That is the kingdom of God. It's not about days. Say, ah, we meet on Sunday, so we're the best. The apostle Paul said, hey, that doesn't matter. The apostle himself. He says, you know, whoever esteems this day highly, let it be so. Let it be true to him. Let, it, let him hold to it. And yet the SDAs come and say, no, 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 no. If you meet on a Sunday, you're going to hell. So absolutely nothing more was needed. In contrast to the SDA false teaching to achieve atonement for sin, the book of Proverbs confirms the finality of Christ's redemptive work on the cross and no investigative judgment of atonement preparatory to his coming. Hebrews 9, 25 to 28. Nor did he enter to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin for the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was, uh, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting. That's the NIV. Glorification at the end. And so, friends, this is, this is crystal clear. Now, are they, would you say that they are God's elect in those sects? I would say, hey, who am I to say no? Who am I to condemn everyone in SDA to hell? But I will say this, 
that the truth of God, the gospel, that is consistent with the scriptural teaching and historical Christian doctrine, which is consistent with the creeds, which we now hold to, does not affirm what they believe. The SDAs also have uh, strict observance of, you know, eating certain foods. Let me read for you what they, the article, uh, the article on Christian behavior, <laughs> number 22. We are called to be a godly people who think, feel, and act in harmony with biblical principles in all aspects of personal and social life, which is quite sound. There's nothing wrong with that. Sounds orthodox. For the Spirit to recreate in us the character of our Lord, we involve ourselves only in those things that will produce Christ-like purity. Sounds alright. Vagish, but sounds alright. And joy in our lives. So, Christian Christ-like purity, health, and joy in our lives. While recognizing cultural differences, our dress is to be simple, modest, <laughs> and neat. <laughs> yeah? Modesty. Uh, sorry, I, I, this is quite small, so I lost the... the Okay, let me read this. This means that our amusement and entertainment should meet the highest standards of Christian taste and beauty. While recognizing cultural differences, our dress is to be simple, modest, and neat, befitting those whose true beauty does not consist of outward adornment, but, but in the imperishable ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit. There, quoting 1 Peter chapter 3. It also means that because our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, we are to care for them intelligently. Along with adequate exercise and rest, we are to adopt the most healthful diet possible and abstain from the unclean foods identified in the scriptures. Eh? There it comes. The satiety. Sha! <laughs> they've, they've stuck it in there. Since alcoholic beverages, tobacco, and the irresponsible use of drugs and narcotics are harmful to our bodies. I don't know why they call it the irresponsible use of drugs. Well, maybe they're talking about medication. Who knows? We are to abstain from them as well. Instead, we are to engage in whatever brings our thoughts and bodies into the discipline of Christ who desires our wholesomeness, joy, and goodness. It all sounds nice. SDA's in another part I read, uh, some of them abstain from medication. They, and things like blood transfusion. I, I don't know whether I'm missing SDAs and Jehovah's Witness. But I think it's a common trend in both sects. It's a common trend. Let me look for the Sabbath. The gracious creator, after six days of creation, rested on the seventh day 
and instituted the Sabbath for all people as, as a memorial of, Christ, of, of creation. The fourth commandment of God's unchangeable law requires the observance of this seven-day Sabbath as the rest, as the day of rest, worship, ministry in harmony with the teaching and practice of, the, of Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of delightful communion with God and one another. It is a symbol of our redemption in Christ, a sign of our sanctification, a token of our allegiance, and a foretaste of our and a foretaste of our eternal future in God's kingdom. The Sabbath is God's perpetual sign of eternal covenant between him and his people, joyful observance of this holy time from evening to evening, sunset to sunset, is a celebration of God's creative and redemptive acts. I was looking for the word Saturday because there's another earlier document which I read which said the Sabbath is a Saturday. Uh, I think it was written by Ellen G. White. This one, this one is like one of the latest uh, articles because they are, they continue to change and you know, transform because there's a pressure uh, from the evangelical world, etc., uh, etc. Et so, friends, there we go with the SDS. I have not covered it. I've only covered a drop in the ocean. I hope that you'll be gracious to me. You may add what you know, what I may have left out, what I may have overlooked, and I'll leave it to you. Are SDAs cults? I will say, yes, they are. Yes, they are.